You want me to go get my water too while I'm uh, while we're we've actually started recording? <laughs> Dude, come on! <laughs> Give me a sec. I'll be back. <laughs> oh God. James, James, go get your tea, man. Well, that's a more. I yeah, dude. Go, get actually, get and all that stuff. Yeah, it's all okay, good, man. M- m- mute your mic. Go get your tea. I'm gonna get a drink as well. We'll we'll re- we'll re- <laughs> give me in five. <laughs> if it's regroup in five, we're gonna start recording at ten thirty. expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Okay, let's get going. Too bad, Mo, we're leaving you behind. <laughs> Where did Mo go? Well, I'm still here, I'm still here. Okay, here we go. For- for Friday night, July 16th, 2021, this is episode 47 of the Anime Roundtable Canada, presented by Anime North. Good evening, Mike Nicholas from Six Points, 10 minutes south of the Anime North compound in the Toronto West End, joined as always by James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg. A quick reminder that you can get in touch with us and join in on the conversation. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com is our email address. At Anime Roundtable, you can find us there on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram because you'll almost surely hear from me if you do. AnimeRoundtable.com is our website with full show notes and past episodes. And we'll do our obligatory mention of Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Discord. Come visit us. We'll, We'll show up eventually. Okay, we basically charted our course for this episode, and we mentioned last week we had just begun the summer convention season, yet another unique version of it, virtual and in-person. When we were last talking, we were in the back end of what was Anaplex Online, and Anime Expo. One had just happened, the other was winding down. And we were waiting to see the next set of conventions that would happen the weekend after. One in-person convention in the form of Anime Matsuri. And concerning Anime Matsuri, the thing is, it was the first of a bunch of in-persons. There's going to be a few more in-persons to come this season. So let's talk more about in-persons when there's a few more under the collective belt of North America and I guess some a good chunk of the world because we're coming out of a unprecedented time, certainly in our lifetimes. So really, we're just still trying to get used to our new normals. And then the other big convention that kind of happened, depending on how you feel about anime lockdown, that's what also happened last weekend. And since we can't be in person 
at a, a place like Anime Matsuri in Houston, or is Otakon going to happen in person this year? Correct. It will be yep. happening in person in Washington. It's going to be one of the first major conventions in Washington, D.C., supposedly, post-opening so uh, up. And obviously we can't be there. Just for reference, Fan Expo is still planning a live in-person version sometime in the fall. Comic-Con, what's the story with that? They're doing uh, an at-home edition, I believe, in a few weeks virtually. But were they saying they might do an in-person type of event later on in the year? I can't remember. There was something about that, but I could be wrong. But I think we can talk more about in-person stuff when we see a few more of them. Because really, it's too early to say, right? Let's save that discussion for some time later on into the future. But I think if they they happen, right? Fair point, Mo. But most of our attention, because we could attend it from anywhere, was Anime Lockdown. Anime Lockdown did happen last weekend. I I, I think before we go any further, we should give a, a quick round of applause for JP and the team. Uh, lockdown was great. I believe yeah, JP, Tony, and Poppy did a great job, and they had the Discord was running great. The Twitch was running uh, great, other than uh, the Nightbot uh, always trying to uh, take down all the links of all the guests <laughs> that were trying that. to. Uh, they said Light Yagami was basically in the Nightbot. <laughs> we had to fight it, and then as they said, they tried to bring the spirit of the in-person convention, so they had more lore. And stuff like that. The Johnson family came back. There was a ball pit. There were lots of hash browns. <laughs> there was a freight <laughs> elevator that people were trying to go on to. Hijinks in the video rooms. And then two Eleanors that they were annoying at the front desk. And many more. They used the hotel metaphor yet again. Yep. And the funny part is this time they had had a few more visuals. We actually got to see JP. Oh, yeah, face and Ocelots. For the first time. They had Ocelots, too. Okay. <laughs> Just imagine if you saw an Ocelot and you went into a hotel. <laughs> so when we start talking about lockdown for us, we, we always can't help but remember when JP was on our show back in April. And he was at that point where he didn't know if this would happen. And then... Lo and behold, about maybe two, three weeks after he appeared, he announced he was going to do it. And you remember the reasoning that he was so much on the fence. He just didn't know if he could put on a good show, get the same type of impact. And to some degree, okay, that's fine. And that played out to some degree. Yeah, maybe that emotional punch couldn't have happened because that, that might have been a lightning in the bottle moment, the first anime lockdown. But that doesn't mean you still couldn't put on a show that whoever did come to see it would have really liked it. And I think that's what sort of happened here when we look at a lot of the stuff that was presented. Some star power, maybe not the greatest. Top to bottom, though, I, I I can't say anything really bad about it for what it was. I think he he may have, maybe that humbleness about setting the expectations the way he did when he was on our show made us prepare for that to for not maybe something that wouldn't have been blown our socks off, but and maybe he 
set up for an under-delivery, but over-delivered on uh, an under-delivery he may have set up. I, I don't know. What was and your... They also, they learned from uh, the previous lockdown, but as he said, I guess he had watched other um, online anime conventions, and he said just they were underwhelming on the attendance and stuff like that. Some panelists wouldn't show up or things like that, like where things could go wrong. So he's like, am I really going to get more than 100 people to come to each panel and stuff like that? Luckily, he did in this case get to over 100 people at each panel. It's like there might have been one or two that were just below. But he did get a response from Twitter because he did ask uh, Twitter. And so he did get a response that people did want him to come back and stuff like that. And the other thing was, he did the reach out to find some guests like Helen McCarthy and Lindsay Leverage and stuff like that. And they responded mm -hmm. and he was surprised sometimes. And then, of course, the Japanese uh, guest of honor as well and stuff like that. He cold emailed that and got that done as a video interview. Tatsuhiko Takimoto is who you're talking about, the creator of Welcome to the NHK. Correct. And just to go back for a second or just to put that out there. A good chunk of the convention is now available on YouTube. A lot of the individual events, as is the majority, it's there on their YouTube page, Anime Lockdown's YouTube page. Uh, great YouTube page, great YouTube page. Yeah, well, you, you know. It's, we'll have it uh, in the links, but it's only two or three uh, that aren't there, but pretty much most of it is there. You even have some of the stuff from last year, but there's some great content to be watched uh, if you weren't able to attend uh, during the weekends. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, full disclosure, I didn't see as much as I wanted to. You guys know I have a job at a mass vaccination clinic nearby here from Six Points. So I spent my Friday and Saturday at work, so to speak. And I saw only a little bit of the Tatsuhiko Takimoto interview on Sunday because I was occupied with other errands and other obligations. Okay, do you have a takeaway from the Takimoto interview for starters, James? I, I'm going to assume you saw a good chunk of that, if not all. Yeah, no, I, I saw the uh, interview. I guess nothing comes to mind uh, in the moment, but it's interesting thinking of how much of the main character from Welcome to the NHK was in him and stuff like that. And it's kind of interesting how he brought that out and how he has some varied interests and stuff like that, where they talked about music and stuff like that. And I know that was of interest to JP when he asked about the guitar uh, but behind him and stuff like that. But it was, and he looked like he was enjoying uh, the interview too. Like it's, probably rare to see that raw of an interview in English from a Japanese creator. So, Mo, Jeff, Kevin, any, you have anything to say concerning the Takimoto interview? I didn't get around to the panel. I actually missed a lot of, I missed all of Sunday actually, or Sunday because uh, I was out, but I'm intending to go back to watch that interview uh, this weekend. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, but it sounds like it was a, a good one. It's, it is interesting to to hear that it was more candid than a Japanese guest uh, maybe usually would be. Candid's a good word, I think. I guess the other thing is he had to think, because remember, he was translating in his own head, and you could see it sometimes, but uh, it was definitely finding the right words, and they definitely were able to bridge that gap. It's hard to do. So could could he speak English then? 
yeah, no, he could speak English and stuff like that. It's just a matter of, I think he was finding the way to communicate, right? For the right words and stuff like that to make sure like there wasn't a misunderstanding, but you could understand what he was saying perfectly fine, stuff like that. There was nothing I would say was broken. It was more of a slow paced English uh, back and forth. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just, I really find it interesting to learn which, um, you know, manga artists or even uh, voice actors and so forth uh, know English to, you know, more than a middle school level. And he, he was honestly trying there. I guess I was thinking probably Jeff would know um, better since he was in Japan and stuff like that. But when he was speaking the English and doing the language and stuff like that, it definitely felt like he was saying it not uh, as we would say as natural English uh, speakers, but more in a Japanese mindset. It it felt like that when he was communicating and stuff like that, but you could still understand him quite well, I thought. Oh, even if it was was minimal, like to be honest, it's still more English than almost anyone here probably in, in Ontario has a French, so... You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, of course. That's that's probably. It was very conversational. I yeah, think. it was a it was a nice conversation, and I can't really get into too many details because right now a lot of the details of the interview to me are kind of lost. So I'd have to rewatch it too. And I'm glad JP has put up the uh, the full interview. So maybe we can all go back and I guess around a fireside, a real fireside. In the near future, <laughs> in person, we can all sit around and talk about that. I was impressed with how JP kind of prefaced all of this, saying he, by his admission, he had to slow down to accommodate Takimoto and so that he can help his own comprehension. And, you know, you can sense the respect JP had for him right away just from those words. And Takimoto, for his part, became, like, like not that I had a, a preconceived notion of what type of guy he was, or is. He just came across as a very affable, likable character. After watching what, what I could of it, this sounds like a guy, to me, you wouldn't mind hanging out with for a bit. And it, it, it just sort of reminds me of any personality I've ever met in all the years I've been involved with this type of stuff in various formats, whether my like helping out at Expo, Fan Expo or Anime North. And you know how sometimes you meet an artist, whether it's a music performer, a voice artist, an actor, a writer, maybe not really be familiar with their work. But you engage with them enough, just enough. You become a fan of them. And you become really, really more curious about their work. And in turn, become a fan of their work later on. I say that about my experience hanging around Lisa Ortiz more than 20 years ago. I had not seen her performance in Slayers. But she was such a cool person to hang out with during that time in Fan Expo. I became a fan of hers. And I, I kept it all in mind as I watched her dub performance as Lena Inverse in Slayers. And I think, and that's sort of what I came away with after those bits and pieces of the Takimoto interview. 
I guess uh, of interest too for Takimoto, uh, Mike, is there was stuff he could uh, promote uh, because he has, as JP said, blogged in English, and that's how he uh, contacted him through his blog, I believe. That's still a great story too. And I so, think that's a great story. So Isakai oh, yeah. Nanpa, which I think is one of his newer uh, light novels, he is, tra- well, not himself, but uh, someone uh, he knows has helped translate it uh, into English, and he did a bit of help on that. And then the, and that's online. And then the other thing was, I guess he had recently released a new story for Welcome to the NHK, and him and uh, another guy translated that into English. And that is online as well, I believe, for sale, that one chapter. I think it's like $7 or something like that. So that's interesting because you never really see that happening where the creator and maybe with the help of another translator try to translate it into another language, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And, the, and of course, he was promoting his music too. He, he gave his SoundCloud link, so that was interesting. <laughs> okay. So as I said, check it out. It's, on, it's online. We'll check it out too. Before we leave the anime lockdown talk for a bit, once around the table, one or two things, one or two panels that popped out at you that you think is worth watching if you haven't already. If any of our listeners, both of them, haven't seen it yet. Is there one thing that you want to point people to? Mike, I'm sure there's like 10 people who are listening, not two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Kevin, one thing. Just one, maybe two panels. What was your favorite, aside from Takimoto, since we've already talked about him? I really enjoyed Mike Tool's panel. I hate to tell you, that wasn't a panel there, Kevin. That was a giant robo-infomercial. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that was the best infomercial for an anime you'll and ever watch. glorious one at that. They should show it to children in school. It should be mandatory viewing. <laughs> yeah, Mike... Like I see it, my, uh, Mike Tool, uh, this the Giant Robo greatest anime ever. That that was his, right? I own Giant Robo, but then I never got around to watching it. Yeah, I finally watched it because of the discotheque uh, Blu-rays and stuff like that. Because I didn't watch the Lightbox Media Blasters release, which was sold for next to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought mine for pretty cheap and just never got around to it either. Okay. But... Uh, anything else? Or yeah, I go. I go to the next person around the table. <laughs> oh yeah, more, I was going to say, probably anime burger time is probably on his list, and probably other people's list. I missed it this year. I, that was the first time I saw anime burger time. Uh, it was maybe I'm not as blown away by it because ultimately, when you when I think anime clip shows, you I, I think anime hell. But burger time has its had a certain funny ho ho to it. It's exactly as advertised. <laughs> well, well, burgers in <laughs> anime. Burgers well, in anime. Yeah, well, burger, that's, that's burger right. time is a game. Oh yeah, that old that old school. Yeah, yeah. No, game. I remember the data east. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is just burgers in anime. I liked it. I liked it, but I I I, I missed about two thirds of it. Really, it was a fun watch. Okay, there. Uh... But there were definitely some good uh, panels uh, from the usual suspect, like uh, Helen McCarthy's was great. Uh, Erica Friedman's was great as well. Uh, 
So and so was uh, Lindsay uh, Lindsay's panel uh, as well. I guess probably if I was going to pick two panels that might fly under the radar, one was by a panelist who was doing their very first panel, and it was uh, Lady Wolf, I believe uh, Emma was her name, and it was there are so many people in Versailles today. Um, it was a Saturday panel. Yeah, today the French Revolution and the Rose of Versailles. Okay. So for that one, they talked about uh, the French Revolution in context of Rosa Versailles. It was a very good panel and very informative. And I don't think you'll ever learn about the French Revolution in all four versions or four phases of the French Revolution as well as she did. And I think it was like 15 minutes and four slides. And it was very informative and crazy. And then the last one to mention... That was kind of uh, good and was kind of, uh, they've only done a few panels, I think a few times, was uh, the Friday uh, evening uh, one. What was it? Trying to find it, but I can't uh, find it. It's like, can't even think straight. um, (laughs) Can't even think straight. Representing and misrepresenting. LGBTQIA plus characters in anime and manga, and that panelist, uh, Dry Bones and Skeleton Crew, they had they had a lot of energy, and I was laughing. JP admitted after the panel was done, he was laughing, and he didn't know what to expect, and he had a ball. And I I have to admit, I had a ball listening to that panel, and it's just a ball of energy you have to watch to see. And the last one that surprising is on the YouTube. I'm not sure how long it'll be there. It is age restricted. <laughs> is uh, the tentacle uh, panel, and that's all I can say. Just tentacle panel. What happens in that panel room stays in that panel room. Okay. Well, it's all about. It's all, it just talks about different like octopi, right? Well, they tried to see if they would not be on Twitch, but let's just say, as we remember, there are three things you can't say on TV. I think there's a million things you can't say on Twitch and the internet, right? So it's not just a clip show of different octopi in anime? So that's actually an interesting uh, misconception. Octopuses uh, don't have tentacles as they are uh, biologically known. Uh, Squid have two tentacles and eight arms versus octopuses just have arms. Uh, tentacles, uh, I think, oh. it, I'm not a biologist, but it has something to do with the extendable capabilities. Um, and octopuses' arms can do that somewhat, but I think they're, they're, not, they're not technically the appendage that counts as te- uh, tentacle. But colloquially, they are tentacles, I guess. But Interesting. Makes for great fiction. <laughs> you know what we're going to have to do, Mike? We're going to have to put in the notes... The YouTube video that John Oliver just posted on the last week tonight YouTube, and it was a web exclusive on octopuses and why they're so great. <laughs> Octopi guys, Jeff, any uh, anything that stuck out to you? Well, the the two panels. <laughs> uh, let's not get into that. Um, the the two. Um, uh, videos that uh, James just mentioned uh, actually were two of the few that I did watch. Um, I did not have quite as favorable a reaction to them. I think, you know, they both have have merits, but um, 
The I think uh, one that I did, or thankfully by a process of inf- uh, elimination, uh, the two other ones I saw were uh, companies that knew nothing about uh, anime fan wants, um, which I think had a, a much uh, better second half. It was uh, really interesting to see the the weirdness that some of these companies did to uh, uh, for their uh, home video releases. I think I, I was kind of hoping for a little bit uh, more, um, you know, on the you know how they were were dubbed and and things like that. But there were some still some uh, pretty nice stories or pretty interesting stories there. Uh, and I did see the uh, horror in Pokemon um uh panel it was pre-recorded um i I saw these on youtube anyways um and that was by um i think the uh facebook page is straight out of kanto uh and it was a a pretty good overview of some horror elements in pokemon um a little bit disappointed that the um official horror manga for pokemon wasn't included in the uh, uh in the sort of um, rundown of all the different, uh, you know, instances of horror and creepy elements. Um, but you know, with only fifty-five minutes, maybe certain things had to be cut. Um, but lovely Irish accent uh, <laughs> throughout that one as well. So that one was uh, twenty twenty uh, panel from yeah, last year. I, 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 I and it was so great that at least you could catch up on that. So that was a, I remember that one. That was a good one. I thought and I that remember was one of the seeing... ones they had from Ireland, I believe, or uh, UK. Yeah, hmm. I, I thought I remembered seeing part of it before. Like, it seemed familiar at the beginning, so maybe I, I started watching it last year, but then uh, bailed out, so I saw the whole thing this time. Okay, that's good. Um, but yeah. Mo? Um, uh, Azuki was pretty good. That's all I can really say about it, right? No, it was good <laughs> to learn more about that, right? And stuff like that, and they're still learning uh, how to get the ball rolling as... They said, and uh, they want to uh, press the start button. There are still features they want to add, which they uh, said uh, to people. So that's good to know. And they're listening to uh, those fan wants, right? Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what it is. The the fact that they're listening to fans is is pretty great. I mean, the interface is cool. The development's awesome. I mean, I feel like it's going to go somewhere, man. Like, it's like a... Like a mini crunchy roll in in, uh, in its infancy, right? It's gonna blow up. You just you just you wait and see, man. It's gonna take over. It's gonna be like the Netflix of manga. It's gonna be ridiculous. Well, we're still waiting for the Netflix moment in in digital in digital manga, right? I think, as they said, it's gonna take time, but I think they have a good chance to get a good base. They, other than Kodansha and Kraken, they just need a few more uh, publishers and stuff like that, and they need to continue to add to their platform as they said they were going to do and that takes time and to build the subscriber base but what i've seen so far it looks fantastic and stuff like that and with the commenting and stuff like that and they're not limiting you to uh, say you have to be a member to comment so someone else could go in there and they can comment on any chapter and i'm guessing if they are doing that they're probably watching or sorry not watching but reading those on sites that cannot be named but it's too bad they uh, never got to that chance at Crunchyroll. Mm-hmm. Kevin? Uh, I caught the Azuki panel after the fact, and yeah, I'm pretty hopeful, actually, that that they can make more progress than other uh, manga services. Yeah, so I actually didn't know Kaiten Books was also part of the launch, so that was a nice little touch on top of the Kodansha stuff. 
yeah, I think I think what will happen if I had to make a prediction is that they'll probably be able to convince a couple of the smaller pubs to post digital stuff, maybe like Glacier Bay Books or maybe even say I don't know. There's a there's a lot of those small ones. Like I guess Glacier Bay is the only one that comes to mind right now for me. But if they can nab say like Seven Seas titles, or if they can even nab Yen Press's back catalog, that's when we'll truly see progress, and that's when I'll finally think that there's hope for a so quoted. Netflix of digital manga because I'm still very pessimistic in that that won't happen for a long time. Ah, uh, come on, Kevin, be on the bright side. It can happen any moment now. No, I, I guess, but <laughs> and they are updating every, as they said, every Thursday they're updating the manga because not all of them had the whole series. So it's as they said, it takes time to build that library. Yeah. I got I got all the confidence, man. That's good then. And you've seen the interface. You've been around there too, Kevin. It's just that knowing how resistant Japanese publishers have been on that front, it's just that's why I'm very pessimistic. And I don't see Viz ever joining that service either. They're they're too focused on their own stuff. I mean, Go it's going to happen. It's going to happen sooner or later. I mean, I'm, you know, just growth and whatnot. I wish. Happen, man. Just good stuff. A lot of these points, a lot of these points that are now coming up, as we're talking about Azugi, will come up in another form. Very well, no, I, I, I'm just saying the whole philosophies, the points we're just bringing up now, we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, but it's as they said, it's it's happening now, and hopefully it's a turning point in Japan because they realize the readership in these magazines are going down, and they're starting to finally figure out that people are more going to digital. It's getting over that hump, so hopefully they're more willing to look at it outside of Japan. And Azuki, the big thing about them is it's not just region-locked, it's Japan's the only region that's locked out. It's English outside of Japan, period, which okay. is a big thing that not many sites can always say. Okay, I'll, I'll, I have to be quick because I, I do want to get to the, our main story in a bit. Two, thing, two panels that I would have recommended and because they're kind of looking back. There was the EVA panel you cannot reference was really well done. I really personally enjoyed because... It talked at length about many of the religious references in Eva. And I say religious, not necessarily Christian. And, and, and some of the whole how Christian how Christian references ended up in Eva, they, they talked at length about that. But there's a lot of Hebrew and Islam references too, or a good number. So they so how they ended up making those connections and how they talk about it and how maybe even misinterpreted it got. They try and explain everything as much as they could, considering the text themselves and then the thought processes that went into it. I found it a really interesting panel. So there's one recommendation. The other, and I forgot her name. 
but it's there. Psychic Song Girls and Super Robots, a Sakura Wars perspective or look back. There was a panel about the history of Sakura Wars. That was from Anime Herald, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. That one, I was really, like, I enjoyed that. But it made me think about this. And this is one of those yes or no questions I'm about to uh, bring up. It's more of a case of, remember when we talked at length about the media mix? We've talked about it in past episodes, right? The whole idea of a, med- of the, of a property and its media mix when I think of Sakura Wars now, looking back after all these years, and when I was getting into anime myself in the mid to late 90s, a set of images I kept seeing in promotion was Sakura Wars. We knew nothing about it, or nothing really big about it, just lots of fan subs. Knew it was a video game. But really not much had been released here, but we knew, I, I just knew it was a big thing. And it never really took off here. But obviously it was a thing in Japan. So my thought is, is was this the turning point? Was Sakura Wars the turning point for the media mix concepts when it comes to anime, manga type pop of pop culture in Japan? Like it's the it was the it was the moment where video games officially came into the media mix. And maybe the media mix being born from the video game instead of the anime or the manga. Oh, sorry, maybe um, we can answer that in a second. Kevin, what do you have to say? Uh, two things. Uh, I do want to check out that uh, Soccer Wars panel because when I saw that on the schedule, I immediately thought that it was probably going to be uh, Samantha Ferreira who was going to be doing that panel because. Yeah, she she is the hand, she is Anime Herald, uh, and I know that she's a huge Soccer Wars fan. So I'm kind of curious to see uh, how passionate she would be in uh, talking about the franchise. Just as a person who had, while well, who's never played any of the games, have always had a cursory interest in it. So I am looking forward to catching that panel this weekend. Uh, as to your question, Mike, uh, I'd probably argue that Pokemon would be more of an earlier example in terms of like a media, like a big media mix, so to speak. At least that's the one that came into my mind. And that was kind of after, though. I think was Sakura Wars that early, James? That was more afterward. Yeah, I'm thinking that's more after, remember, because it wasn't until 96 that Pokemon so came out when... in um, Game Boy. And then Pokemania didn't hit till a couple of years later, because remember, Sakura Wars was Saturn. Anyway, Jeff uh, had a ahead, quick Jeff. thing to put in. Give me your thought. Oh, I, I just assumed Sakura Wars was like late 90s. No, it was mid-90s. Okay, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. Yeah, so um, I was going to say the same thing about Pokemon. And in like when you brought this up during the the pre-show stuff, I did uh, research it. Um, Pokemon beat Sakura Wars by, I think, almost half a year. I think Pokemon was February and Sakura Wars was September, um, both apparently 96. Um, Oh. 
but I, I do think it's it's interesting because you know Pokemon is definitely sort of the you know it, it, it's a juggernaut, right? So it it approached this you know a uh, video game anime trading card game uh manga merchandise thing in in a completely different way and i i really don't want to discount the the impact of the pokemon anime because i think it is uh impactful influential all that kind of thing but you know when people think about um anime it is um it, it's a different sort of subgenre right like I think Sakura Wars um, as a franchise does sort of lean into the more traditional, you know, anime tropes of, of mecha and, you know, uh, romance and, you know, cosplayable costumes and all that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, I don't think Sakura Wars uh, impact uh, could be compared to, you know, even something like Gundam, which you know, went in the reverse direction with all of the Super Robot Wars games and things like that. Um, it is it is fascinating, though, and I'm a big fan. Of, like, I've never played a lot of Sakura Wars, but I'm a fan of the Sega Saturn in sort of concept and what it stood for, um, and just as a historical artifact. Um, but yeah, I, I mostly wanted to say that I do think that despite the complications, Pokemon is probably the poster Pikachu of of that concept. Of the, of the, it was of, kind of a weird thing because yeah, they had the Nintendo money and stuff like that, but they also revived the Game Boy because the Game Boy should have been on its last leg. Yeah, but <laughs> it helped revive it. It was about connectivity and stuff mm. like that. So there were so many more elements going into that than Sakura Wars and stuff like that. And the other thing against it was it was on the Saturn, and while the Saturn did well. In Japan, it was dead on arrival <laughs> everywhere else in the world. Unfortunately, as we know from uh, the many E3 uh, <laughs> conferences and the one word that was shouted from PlayStation. Hmm. I feel, I like, got, an I, I I feel got, like an idiot now. I got my Saturn uh, from Blockbuster in a, a closed, you know, we're going to sell all our Saturn games and uh, consoles. So I got mine. It came in the like the rental case that they uh they gave. Was it to like the, the one Saturn. of those bricks, whatever? You know what I mean? That protects it. You know what I mean? Not like yeah, yeah, a yeah, yeah. It was it was a hard, you know, briefcase style clamshell thing. Okay, oh, that'd be cool to have. Oh man, Mo, do, you guys remember, do you guys remember when oh, they used wow. to rent out consoles? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. I do. I, I feel I like do. I remember the Virtual Boy is probably a close one as well to the Saturn, where they just probably want to get those out the door. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So uh, anyway, that's my thought on Sakura Wars. So I'm not told. I'm not right necessarily, but I thought it was at least. It had me reflect on it. It had me reflect. It was, on it was a. Later. It was a good panel too, and I think yeah. the interesting about that one was that she was using it as a test drive for using the panel like at a live event and stuff like that, as mm-hmm. JP said. But so I think... she definitely got some good feedback that she said she wanted to use to make the panel better, which is always yeah. great with these type yeah. of events. I guess looking back on the question I asked, it would sure. be a yes and no sort of type thing. Or it was just part of, it was part of a wave. But you can't really say... It wasn't, but you can't totally say it was either. It was part, it was just in that, in that trend. And I think they were just, it was just part of a trend that was beginning, but in another angle, I guess. 
Well, I, I think that a lot of, um, you know, games from that era and post that era started um, getting that, uh, you know, ad- anime adaptations a lot more often. Um, the, the main one that comes to mind for me, of course, is Metabots. But, um, you know, if you think about, you know, there's a bunch of tales of OVAs that sort of filtered in, I think, around the same time. Um you know, there's all of those Street Fighter movies. Um, I guess that would be a little bit before. Um, but, you know, I think that it's it's definitely part of, of that movement. And it is also a piece where, you know, we, we I think there, there had been CD-ROM-based uh, video games for a while, for a little bit at that point. But it was still relatively new. So this was, you know, the era where... For the first time, you could have anime cutscenes uh, opening up a game. You could have voice acting in in both English and Japanese in the original um, audio. Um, even you know little cutscenes and really kind of start making what you saw on the anime screen sort of translate to a video game a lot more than you could on a NES or even Super Nintendo. Okay, that's a fair point. All right. Anyway, we've uh, I've I've harped too much on that, and I I get the feeling maybe if somebody's listening, they'll probably give their two cents too, and maybe we can talk to the source on that and her thoughts at some point too. Okay, let's get to the main story because I know this this story has been juicy over the last couple weeks, or how many days now? Almost ten days, I guess. It's been down for seven, I guess. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we you you. you you talked a few minutes ago, Mo, about Azuki. Yes. And maybe a good way to be going about things. Yep. I, 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 Azuki did the thing where they um, delivered a product uh, that's reasonable, that makes sense, that has thought behind it. You know, a team of passionate individuals building for the community, uh, whereas opposed to this individual we're going to talk about now is not doing that. They also were professionals that had been in the anime industry uh, before. Exactly. Worked with Crunchyroll and many other outlets. So they probably had a better idea of what they were doing compared to the next set of, uh, (laughs) I don't know what you'd want to call them, but they are what they are. You know, I I, I feel like, (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to, Mike, you go ahead. Sorry. Well, I mean, let's get right to into talking about anime tube and that controversial i think that just seals the deal right there when you say and you name your service anime tube that that sets up a red flag right there it's like you're just a tube i think that uh that initiates all the red flags where do we want to start where do we want to start with this i don't know basics i guess i have trouble knowing where to start on this James, do you want to know? Do you want to give us a starting point? So, uh, Anime Tube, uh, as many of you may know, uh, it was a Kickstarter. The one we're going to be talking about is the second Kickstarter. Supposedly, they had um, another Kickstarter before, which was asking for a larger amount, but uh, they decided to stop it and then uh, reorganize uh, and stuff like that. At present, before they were suspended by Kickstarter, they had got a hundred thousand uh, U.S. dollars. One hundred thirty-seven thousand, I think. Yeah, so that was yeah Canadian, and then um, in regards to um, 
a hundred thousand. Uh, that was about uh, just taking a look at it. But uh, I forget what their uh, goal was. I can't even see what their goal was. It was like 50, it was like fifty k, I guess. Yeah, I it was fifty. It was fifty k. It was fifty thousand was their goal, which seems very low, especially when you're trying to set up a streaming service that they said they were trying to start because they said people are complaining about Funimation and Crunchyroll on the mobile apps and we're supposedly going to do it better. It's going to be a free service with ads. And they were talking about some, uh, what was it, uh, Mo, like an AI, like a bot or something of sorts that was going to... They were, they were trying to leverage the uh, current buzzword of the uh, tech industry, which is uh, AI, virtual assistant, yes, machine virtual learning. Assistant. And I couldn't understand, like that was another thing I couldn't understand, the virtual assistant and all that stuff. That was gonna help you out. Which... It it seemed dumb because I like it's just it's they're trying to do like a like a Netflix type uh, recommendation algorithm system, but it's like no, <laughs> just no. But uh, the other thing that they had mentioned now this was taken down at one point, but they had a list of anime under discussion, and they were listing titles that were already licensed by some uh, licensors and stuff like that. And that uh, definitely set up red flags for some people, especially uh, Sean Kleckner, because they had stuff like Utena on there and stuff like that. And he's like, what are you doing with my stuff and stuff mm -hmm. like that? And basically, AnimeTube responded saying, we talked to you on LinkedIn. We contacted you on LinkedIn to discuss this with <laughs> you. And that's just not a good response, period. The universal way to contact people, LinkedIn. And these, like... You don't put those and using like certain series and stuff like that where they said kind of in their marketing, which they had no right basically to use and stuff like that before they had even talked to these licensors. So the trust issue, which we're going to probably talk about later, was probably out the window. They're probably not going to work with you. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot more money to start up this type mm -hmm. of service, as we know, than just getting a crowdfunding and stuff like that. And Justin Savakis talked about and stuff like that with their experience at Anime News Network when they tried to do streaming and stuff like that. And they had their hurdles and they had to stop. And they actually had one of the big uh, issues where, remember, it was Uri Emo, the Anaplex series, about uh, the English title was the one where it was, My Little Sister Can't Be This Cute, remember? And supposedly the... Um, or Elmo. What was it? Uh, they had some people that stole the the shows earlier from their server and put posted them online. So that was a big red flag that got the uh, licensors angry. Yep. So mm -hmm. that tells you the hurdles about trust and, and stuff like that. There too. So who knows how secure they were for that? And the other issue is, as we said, is Crunchyroll, right? And they talked about the beginnings of Crunchyroll, and it's true that they did originally start not really ethically where they were taking fan subs, they were putting them on their sign stuff like that and showing the test bed, so to speak, and maxing out their credit cards. But there it was like no one had done this before. So they were able to get that venture capital money. And as Justin Savakis and others had said, once they got that capital, 
they went legit and they put everything back into the right sources, back into the anime companies, back to the creators and all that stuff, and took the long road where everything was off Crunchyroll and they rebuilt to where they are now, where they have thousands of legitimate episodes with money going back to creators, regardless of what you think of the quality of their streams and stuff like that. Right. Okay. And, and yes, and it was an unestablished model. And since that, and in more than 10 years on, we've established something. Kevin. Faku is another great example of this. Oh, Faku? And they had because, mentioned Faku, didn't they, Kevin? Because it was the exact same thing. They hosted. Well, I wasn't listening to the panel, but, uh, but yeah, pretty much, uh, Jacob Grady had all these illegal scanlations of uh, Arrow manga on Faku, and then uh, Wani publications uh, were not happy with this. They're the ones that put out a lot of uh, the vanilla H manga content in Japan. They're one of the prominent publishers in that space, and they got cease and desist or they sent the C&D letter. But uh, if I recall correctly, they Faku used that as an opportunity to try and talk it out with them to see if they can go, it, go at it legit. And amazingly, they agreed. Yeah, no, that's exactly how Jacob uh, described it. And now Faku is 100% legit as well. Yeah, no, that was the craziest thing about when Jacob said that and how... They were, they went and they engaged and it's that rare thing where I'm not sure why, but the Japanese uh, rights holders in that decided to play ball and they started this relationship and they've developed it. And now they're at this point where they really trust each other. And he's gotten more hentai uh, manga publications and chapters and stuff like that legitimately on the site. And then the more incredible thing that he's got from the licensors and stuff like that is they said his um the actual books the quality of the books and i'll admit this is just as good or better than the japanese tokabons which is crazy and he sells them for 20 bucks us which is insane and you're and i don't think yeah. you would have thought that yeah they're they're very nice quality books very nice quality books uh they get published in Hong. They create those books in Hong Kong, for the mm -hmm. most part. That's where the printers are for that, and has the slip covers and everything. It's the works, and it's uncensored. Yeah, the art under the cover that the Japanese have, and it's uncensored. <laughs> okay. And that's a hard thing too, right? With that as well. That was another thing that was interesting that they were able to uh, get done and stuff like that. But it takes time to get that stuff done. And uh, these guys, I don't think, had a clue as to what they were getting into. And now I don't. Uh, anyone will listen to them. Well, okay. Let me place two cliches in front of you. And, me, and I think the second one. The second one. I choose the second one. You're, you're going to hear both anyway, Mo. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, Jeff, did you want to say something? Oh, um, 
I guess the only thing regarding uh, this anime tube uh, that I'm curious about is, uh, you know, they there is a press release saying, you know, he's, he's going to try again. Um, and I'm really curious how he's going to, like, represent his list of series without ruffling any feathers. Like, if it's going to be, um, you know, counterculture lady girl and uh, alchemy brothers or or something like that. Like, if, he's, if there's going to be, like, weird you know, serial number filed off, uh, you know, advertisements, because otherwise it's, it's going to be, please come look at my fine snake oil, the best in the land. Um, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm impressed to, you know, in a weird kind of way, but it, <laughs> it seems like it, it, you know, maybe just pack up your, your suitcases full of snake oil and, and, He's, something else. He's the monorail. They're definitely delusional, but as we said, uh, I think it was uh, during Lindsay's uh, panel at Anime Lockdown, that's when it happened that it came down, and so that was um, last Friday, a week ago, so that was uh, July the 9th, that Kickstarter suspended this uh, Kickstarter for Anime 2, which basically means they can't go back on Kickstarter again. All the funds in that that were collected, as we know, nothing happened to them. It doesn't happen till the uh, Kickstarter yeah. ends. So no one lost their money, thank God. But <laughs> as one person joked in an, it's unfortunate, where do these people go? They go to another platform. And I think people were saying, we're probably going to see them on Indiegogo or somewhere else. That's, that's most like. Okay, two cliches. And maybe we can see, and maybe uh, start to get to, at the heart of, not necessarily the heart, but a thought as to where things start to go wrong, and maybe some motivations. One, was this a case of putting the carriage before the horse? Let's not go. Let's not start to answer that yet. We can choose to. Two, is this a case of somebody being? or somebody as in a, a group, an entity, being naive and not knowing or somebody really, really out to pull the wool over somebody's eyes? So which question do we want to try to like give our thoughts on? I first? think it's a bit of column A and column B, Mike. Well, I mean, well, well, on the second question, right? Yeah. On the second question, you can put up a, a, an argument for both sides, for both. Because the answer uh, on the second question, whatever the answer is, it's a bad optic, regardless. Very bad optic. Because either you're completely stupid or clueless. You're trying to rip somebody off. Neither answer sounds all that great. <laughs> Fingers crossed the first. If it's the first, it's kind of forgivable, but it's most likely the second. I mean, uh, it's just, come on. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. And that's, how could, like, how could you be so clueless then? Have some, a little bit of research. If it's not uh, adding up, it's okay. But then it it, it it went public. 
And that's where it all started to go wrong all, and nicely blow up. Yeah, it's There's interesting because they talked to the AJA, which was, as many people said, it's not licensing or organization. It's a trade organization in Japan for anime and stuff like that. And I guess they got some nice receptive uh, feelings from them. And as some people have said, you can send an email and sometimes some of these smaller licensing places may send you a catalog. And so maybe some of that happened too. And so maybe they got, uh, as you said, uh, cart before the horse, uh, so to speak. That's... But we have seen this uh, before. I think the last uh, clusterfuck uh, we saw was Crimson Star Media. Now and that's an old that, like you had to. That one my was crazy because he actually managed to legitimately license an anime from Pony Canyon for looking up at the Half uh, Moon anime, and he just effed it up from there. But the more interesting thing for him is, and they always make the joke about. If you're going to license an anime, don't use your student loans. You're never going to get those discharged. Jeff? So hopefully they didn't do that. Well, that was that was actually in that panel I mentioned uh, from earlier. And, that, no, I saw <laughs> that, that in the quote. panel too. Yeah. So it's, it's just kind of, they, they had the similar feelings in my mind for both of them. Yeah, But that feels like the last time we've had something that insane i feel but i could be wrong i think that like when when if these these people did reach out i think it kind of makes some sense for you know whoever their contacts um were to not be completely negative because there have been you know successful smaller streaming services that have gotten anime licenses exactly um, so like right. i think that it, it makes sense for them to say like oh yeah you know continue to talk with us maybe you are a legitimate organization or maybe um you know there is something here in the future and i think maybe they got completely overzealous with like the responses which were just you know either polite or let's continue the dialogue um as as far as similar events or anything the only thing that comes to mind is butch hartman's um streaming service um, where uh, Butch Hartman, who's the um, creator or co-creator of Fairly Odd Parents, Danny Phantom, etc., um, had a streaming service that he, he pitched and he crowdfunded successfully. And then after the success, it solely was revealed that it was sort of uh, very Christian-minded, um, very like um, blatantly. Um, like I think it was probably just values, but it might have gone even further it's been a few years before I, I delved into the subject but you know he didn't divulge that when he was doing the the uh the initial crowdfunding um but now so like you know successful but the, it still hasn't happened this i think it was successful three or three years ago or so now um maybe two but there's like a website where some of the buttons don't work. Um, the YouTuber SaberSpark um, has a great video um, addressing this. There's a few, uh, there's several other YouTubers who have um, addressed this whole fiasco. Um, but like, yeah, the, the buttons don't work. Uh, he also promised, oh, I'm going to be able to work with all these cartoon makers and live action. Um, and is like, you know, his crowdfunding trailer had all these great b-roll of different shows and like the 
the so far final result is a broken website with a couple of the cartoons he already, you know, made, you know, personally, which he sells otherwise. So, you know, I, I think I'm definitely leaning a little bit more onto them being naive, but, you know, there, there might have been, I don't think there was completely malicious intent, but definitely like swindler kind of like, you know, I want to do this cool thing that people want, but hey, I can maybe, you know, it might not work and I'll still make money. Great. But, and you kind of address the cart before the horse type stuff too. So let's talk the trust part of it. Actually, it's funny, Mike, I was looking at it. We talked about trust, but I was looking over at the schedule that uh, they had. And that makes you wonder about trust for them, about how they were going to get this all set up. And it was just way too condensed where they talked about this Kickstarter going started on July 6th. It was supposed to end July 6th. And then they said August 23rd to September 3rd. They were going to do web development for the mobile apps and all this stuff from September 6th to 17th. They were going to have the form uh, brought online for discussions. Then September 20th to the 26th, they were going to travel to Japan to sign licensing (laughs) contracts. From December 6th to January 28th, they were going to have the development completed for uh, Amy Chan, their virtual assistant and stuff like that. And development begins on the uh, anime chat feature and then they said on january 31st and on anime chat feature published anime tube is published to the following platforms ios apple tv android android tv roku smart tvs xbox one windows 10 pc and uh, so on and you just look at that and especially with the platforms and how fast they were running and how they were supposedly going to have these discussions no way that would have happened on that timeline. Like sure. that's even more aggressive than most Kickstars, which know they're going to run into delays. And I think if anyone even saw that from a licensing perspective, there would be like, there were so many red flags. I don't think anyone would put trust in them, whether it's the English side or the Japanese side for uh, licensing. I was just the whole fly to Japan line. <laughs> I wonder okay. where uh, I wonder where that money is going to come from. No, isn't that? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm more thinking: would restrictions be clear? Would yeah. restrictions be? Just <laughs> th- I was thinking that too because we know about the Olympics and we know about where they are on vaccination rates and stuff like that, and about them allowing people in. And it's kind of like, well, how are you going to do that? Did you mean virtually? Did you mean you're somehow going to sneak into the country? I don't know. Okay. So. Getting off, so once again, back to the trust line, the whole, it's not just about, like, we can take a bunch of angles on this, right? Especially, like, the Vice article on that kind of documented this really grabbed my attention. Because it kind of tried to give a quasi-history about dealing with Japanese rights holders. And how it's not as simple as just throwing the money at them. You have to build trust. It's not that, and it's and you build and you, you don't easily build it because sometimes, in case of Studio Ghibli, when it came to Nausicaa, you could lose it, and 
trusting again is a hard thing to do. And sometimes and, it's the reputation too, isn't it, Mike? Because you said that we think about Harvey uh, Weinstein. Well, that, and yeah, the, but I'm uh, katana they sent to him, remember? Mm -hmm. No cuts. No cuts. The no cuts line, the no cuts thing. It, it kind of, and we've talked at length about the hesitancy of Japanese licensors to go overseas. Yes, there's a necessity. Yes, they want to do things a certain way. And we can have that conversation again about who gets to say it's my way or the highway. Could be the Japanese. Could be, could be the licensor out the overseas licensor. Where there is that tension. We know, uh, like, that's, that's the one takeaway I took from the Vice article. Yeah, it's nice to say, the, for the Japanese side to say that, but maybe with their market own, their own market shrinking, how much are they willing to compromise? Because I think they, because maybe you can make that argument, they have to. As much as they hate to, and maybe not even do it. Maybe they'll, they'll, they're willing to die on that hill. Right now, I think that's where we are in that, in a lot of that. There isn't that push comes to shove moment yet. But then again, look at it on the other side. Right? My way, there, there's their version of the my way or the highway. You don't, you don't want to at least uh, come, come look, look at a, a lot of things our way? Okay, fine. We'll look at something else from another place, which we know at least maybe we can get it a little cheaper or get more reasonable terms. May not get the hot may not get the high viewership. Maybe it will, but we, we can be satisfied with that result. That, but going back to Japan, still, that part goes back to some of their stubbornness, their building of trust. How long did it take Sean Kleckner to build that trust? How long did it take John Ledford to build that trust? How long did it take Jordan to build that trust for Faku? And the and, other one we said, Netflix as well. And, and, and Netflix. Just, the Vegas mentioned that saying them building Netflix Japan, getting the right people from within J Japan to, to build that trust, to do the anime, the live action, all that stuff. They're now seeing the benefits, mm -hmm. the results this, that, that, that stuff, building process. And we can make that argument. Okay, it's happened rather suddenly in the last year. I think we've just seen it bloom over the last year. It's been building for a longer period. Let's, so, I, so maybe that's my fault for saying, for really focusing on that, or our, our, well, my fault, for wanting to focus a little bit more on how much it's exploded over the last year. We keep forgetting how much of it, how much of the foundation. We keep forgetting about foundations. And the foundations had been there, had to build for some time, well before we were aware of it. Maybe well before this podcast returned three years ago. Agree or disagree? Agree, totally, 100%. I would, I would agree. So, and going back to the dilemma that, uh, what's, what's the name of the gentleman? Going back to the dilemma that, that uh, George Weller now faces. He's yeah, now, he's put himself behind the eight ball with people like Jordan, with people like Kleckner, with people like Savekis. Because maybe he has to build a network too to help start gaining that trust. But here he is 
doesn't look like he'll get the trust of people who have, who have worked for years, maybe decades, to gain that Japanese trust. Who could get him that, those initial meetings so he can get that Japanese trust? It's a, it's a real burning bridges situation. Like, you know, the... Using uh, another cliche. Thank I, I'm you. Not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that these people would have, you know, helped him, but they're probably not going to now. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah like, if, like you, if, you, if you... Well, yeah, okay, we can debate whether or not they would have helped him in the first place. But the approach now... And then they just doubled down, as we said. They had the press release uh, from their uh, company, which is Game Face LLC, and so you have George Weller, who is supposedly the CEO, issuing that. And then supposedly he has a business partner, uh, Hironori Zusho, uh, I believe. And I don't think uh, anyone's going to listen to them uh, What's anymore the, uh... because they've just broken every rule you can think of, and they're 15 years too late. Okay. What's the under- agreements, but what, What's the under over that his partner is bankrolling this? At least a little bit. I mean, he's got to have some kind of money to come up with some of this stuff, right? Good question. Good question. Are you sure it isn't like the student loans and their credit cards and God knows what else? If they had a sugar daddy, trust me, they wouldn't need to go to fucking Kickstarter. I'm worried he might be in with like, you know, criminal underworld or some kind of thing, right? Let's not go there yet. Let's not go there. I need to tell you, no, someone else is probably looking for him for their money that he probably used. Yo, what, what, what if he took a whole bunch of money from the Yakuza and, and now he's like... He doesn't, oh. he, he doesn't know the Yakuza. <laughs> if if he's like, oh, maybe I'll go to Japan and ask the Japanese to make me oh, let boy. them put on YouTube, but it's going to be called Anime Tube. If, 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 you know, I, I'm making a lot of assumptions, but based off of his interactions with even the, you know, Western side of things, you know, the, the Yakuza doesn't have a huge influence on not Japan. So, you know, it, if he knows the Yakuza, you know, the Yakuza are behind this and they've already profited somehow. I would say yes, that is true, but mm-hmm. uh, who knows? Maybe someone at Sega is listening, and they'll use it as a storyline in the next Yakuza game. Yeah, I think, no, okay. wasn't it Nintendo with the actual Yakuza connections, though? Yes, it was. Because remember, <laughs> Hanafuda and stuff like that was into gambling and stuff like that. So yeah, they had the Yakuza connections, and even the last uh, president from the family, yes. He had Yamauchi, he had the Yakuza connections as well, even if they say they didn't. Yeah. Okay. I guess we should start to wrap this part up uh, because we've been on it for, what, 40 minutes now, I think? <laughs> Almost. I, I, I will just one last quick point. There's a great video by a YouTuber. Uh, I'll send you the link afterwards, Mike, and she goes into it for a bit. It's uh, it's pretty good. Um. Sure. And we'll put it uh, in the links as well for this episode. Let's see, let me give one final or another thought, maybe hopefully to wrap it up. Although you know how this show tends to be sometimes. <laughs> Part of the motivation was to break up a possible monopoly they think that they say Sony's going to have. And I guess we can make that argument. We can have that discussion. We've had a version of it before. Maybe the world is bigger than I thought when the deal ha- was first announced. It might be if the, because of the Justice Department's involvement and reviewing the deal 
that all said, and yeah, maybe we are thirsting for more competition. Maybe the competition is not necessarily, and I know we've said this before, it may not necessarily be in the form of another dedicated anime service. It could just be in the form of other services looking to expand their libraries. And that's what we're starting to see with uh, Netflix, which we continue to talk on. And the reason some of them uh, collaborated before for uh, Crunchyroll and Funimation, why this merger might have happened as well, is to fight the big boys. You uh, need to have uh, someone to bankroll you. And, uh, well, to fight, to fight the big boys, you need to be big to your own, uh, on your, to your own extent, right? And I do agree that uh, Crunchyroll originally found that when they went into when the VC people cashed down to Warner and when Sony and uh, Gen, sorry, not sorry, uh, when Funimation and Gen uh, cashed out to um, Sony and stuff like that. But as they said, you never know. It's like when opportunities arise, it's like, why not take them? Because oh, sure. we're, we'll have uh, synergy to battle against those bigger and, companies and, like Netflix. And maybe to be fair, obviously, if we knew exactly what would happen, we wouldn't be just doing a two-bit podcast. Right? So to be fair to AnimeTube, just to be fair a little bit. But uh, maybe they're looking at a field that just isn't as for uh, as fertile anymore. And that's why Probably I said fifteen years too late. Yeah, hence, hence, uh, hence, uh, Justin Savakis's words. So approach from an so uh, change your approach, I guess. Unless they know uh, another field or a new way to uh, view anime and stuff like mm -hmm. that, that'll take the world by storm. I'd say they're uh, dead in the water. If we're all going to be watching it VR and haptic mm -hmm. feedback, I don't know. Well, let me give you two more cliches. And these ones may not be quite as familiar to you guys. They said uh, they can do this ad-supported without a, an end user maybe paying that much. Nothing's more expensive than free. And second, like, remember... What are they going to use our data for? That's what <laughs> I'd be wondering. Exactly. And that leads to the second part. If... If, uh, and this is what people when people what people like to say about Facebook. If Facebook is not charging you for their product, you yeah, are the product. product. Yeah, I just I don't know who he would sell our data to. He's selling it to the Yakuza mode. I knew <laughs> someone was going to say that. <laughs> I knew it. I think we could have put bets. I think we could have just put bets on who was going to say that. But we, I knew somebody was going to say that. <sighs> I hate to tell you, the algorithm is going to come for us, Mike. It's going to come for us, the algorithm. At some point? Probably. Until the lawsuits, too. Okay. What a mess, though. <laughs> Juicy story. Great story. I, I, I don't do think we'll ever story, see bro. this big of a clusterfuck ever again, but we probably said the same about Crimson Media, so who knows? And we, who I think knows? we said this and we said this more than a decade ago about Crunchyroll back at the time. I, I One last thing, and this is kind of flashing back, because I know... We just to put him back into perspective again, and just to remember him one more time. When um, 
James, do you have any memory of Zach Birchie's first interviews with uh, any executives from Crunchyroll? Because I knew they were kind of... They are still tense, online. Right. Yeah, they are still online uh, on uh, Anime News Network. And they were, they were very direct uh interviews and stuff like that and very putting the cold like their feet to the fire and stuff like that saying, like, I know well, this exactly is what you have and this is what you've done and it's like how do we know this is what you're going to do and stuff yeah, like that was... and it was kind of hmm he was a bit and people did a wait and see and because it was such a time of change right no one knew how it was going to go and internet like the capacity and the stability wasn't where it is today and stuff like that so it took time to develop that but after they went legit just like uh jacob grady and thacker did they walked the talk and that's the big thing they walked the talk mm -hmm. and they gained that trust i do and in our mind it might have been faster than we thought but it was probably a slow burn to get it to where they are today okay Jeff. Go ahead. i i really do want to hope that that the best of intentions were were placed here, um, you know, because with that best of intentions model, you do kind of have a, a Robin Hood kind of, you know, scenario. But geez, the the hubris on 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 this mm -hmm. this organization. Yeah, they just it just bad perception. Okay, well, we don't have much time for the bullets, do we? Or unless we want to go two hours tonight. Do we want to talk about talk a few possible essays? You know, I'm always up for two hours. We can we can talk a few bullets. We might uh, put a few on the katana, but uh, I think we can get through a couple or so. Well said, Mister. <laughs> and I well think uh, there's a plush uh, katana of yeah, some sort. That, 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 hatchet, that, that hatchet might be the thing that gets cut. Okay. I, hear, I hear the hatchet is cheaper than the Pokemon plushies that are life-size. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do the bullets. Uh, these are... Yo, that... That that Rena... That... Go ahead. What was I going to say? Uh, that Rena plush like hatchet is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> the bullets! I want to take it home with me. Of course you do. The bullets! But will you be able to get it across the border? The bullets <laughs> presented in point four, but could become essays. <laughs> okay, let, okay. I guess we will talk the the hatchet plushie. What do you want to say about that? First bullet. The first bullet is a sharp one. Come on, say it. Say it. Say it. Uh, go easy on him. We got the lag going. I could crossplay as Rena now <laughs> if I really wanted to. <laughs> Okay. They say it's about $40 uh, US uh, if you look at it, and it's going to be uh, in the anime stores, I guess, uh, online and across Japan uh, until uh, July 21st, uh, 2021. And it's going to release in October, which makes sense. Halloween, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I have nothing to add because I'm not as big a figure as you guys. Yeah, it would go perfectly with with uh, i was gonna say that it would go perfectly well with my existing plushies which would be uh my little mekazawa from kramarty high school uh 
a decent sized Shin Chan plushie, and then I also have a modified teddy bear with a gun pointing at its uh, head cool. <laughs> that I bought at Fan Expo years ago. Well, I hate to tell you, uh, Kevin, but that makes no sense when I see the line where it says the size of the plush hatchet may not exactly be lore accurate, but it also makes for an excellent cushion to hug or rest your forehead on, and its wieldable handle can give you an edge in a pillow fight. Oh, boy. I'm just looking at these pictures again. <laughs> okay, no, I, I have nothing else to add because I don't know Higurashi all that well. Love it. Love it. All right, should, should we move on? Can we move on? Okay, let's go. Let's do the real bullets now. Well, you you already uh, we we already started. G Kids, G Kids licensing Future Boy Conan. Year a couple of years ago when we had Mo, old Mohammed, when we had Mister Abdul Hadi on the show, he talked about watching Future Boy Conan in Egypt, I believe, if I remember correctly. And I didn't really. It never dawned. It only dawned upon me recently. Future Boy Conan has never re- gotten an official release in English, or at least in North America. Yeah, it was one of those where it never got to our shores, it got to other shores. And it's kind of surprising it took this long, especially since it was helmed by uh, Miyazaki and stuff like that. And considering uh, he did it after uh, he helped out with uh, Lupin Part 1 with uh, Takahata. And then, of course, just before he did uh, Cagliostro and stuff like that. But it's interesting it took this long. It's not surprising it's G-Kids, because they uh, basically have done the Ghibli library and stuff like that. So I think there was definitely trust there to get it done. It's interesting, though, the English dub, because supposedly that's a new English dub. So I'm intrigued to see how that would sound and stuff like that, especially given the age of the show, because usually you don't have that with a show of this age, but I'm guessing with the Miyazaki pedigree, that helped it out. And we'll probably get interest for from the community anyway. Yeah, I guess the real wonder is why this happened so long. Go ahead. I'm not sure. Like, when they dub older shows, do they lower the quality of the audio recording to match the music and sound effects? Or do they just have a weirdly high-quality audio stream? Because usually you'd have, it depends on that older show, if they have the separated sound and effects and stuff like that. So they can, yeah. you know what I mean, get that extra language track in there and stuff like that. So I'm guessing for this one, they did uh, have that and were able to get it done for it. So mm-hmm. it will probably sound like any other English dub. It's just going to have the older animation and stuff like that. But it's one, as Mike, you said, um was in other countries and other languages and they've talked about like old Mohammed. So it's really intriguing to check this part of Miyazaki's back catalog and see what it's all about and stuff like that, because we've kind of heard or read about it. Jeff? When, when, when the news broke, I did see on Twitter that there were, you know, at least some people who were responding to the news that this, you know, unheard of or unappreciated gem is finally being released. And, so many people were saying that, you know, it's such a, a North American centric point of view. Like I, I haven't seen it, but apparently like in every other um, region, essentially like through, you know, the Middle East, Latin America, you know, Africa, South America, um, 
this has been a very known and very popular um, kind of standard series. I guess. Yeah, out, mm-hmm. out outside of Japan, and it's it you know it, it's again one of these situations where you know I, I kind of get it like I, I don't like it, but I get it like so much of of Twitter is you know America UK focused with little fringes of places like Canada on the sidelines, I guess, but. Um, it, it it is kind of like that's as far as the story that's what has you know stood out to me is that it's another weird example of you know people completely forgetting that other places outside of Japan also enjoy and have their own anime cultures that uh, often go un untalked about and you know, a key word is different because they're into different shows because of the way exposures happen there. And even what's allowed and what's not. Like I I've had friends from Saudi Arabia who would talk about how, you know, there's there's so many anime series that become popular there. And part of it is just because, you know, that that country's never or it's going to be difficult to get a series like, you know, Pokemon or a magic heavy show or um, you know, a very supernatural like horror type of show. Um, you know, licensed or approved for air there so you get a lot more um sport series i know i know captain subasa i think is very popular in the middle east um Mm -hmm. i'm I'm sure a lot of other sport series are are like that um so i'm I'm guessing maybe future boy conan doesn't have that much uh questionable content for a lot of these places uh no i was thinking of captain subasa as well uh jeff and I guess the one thing uh, for this is it'll probably have more legs than even uh, those ones or even uh, Saint Seiya and stuff like that, where because it has the Miyazaki name, it'll probably uh, do a lot better and stuff like that. But always interesting to see how these things play out. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe it's a little, a bit of a wonder, and that happens. I'd be curious, mind you. I'll fully admit, maybe I'll just wait for it on a streaming service. I wonder if they're going to have an interview with Miyazaki from the present to talk about it. It'll be interesting. I'm, well, I'm be a, considering what we've seen in those documentaries, yeah, it'd be a fun interview if he's willing to give it. My, my only exposure to the series, I think, has been Anime Hell, so I'm, I'm curious if it will be addressed at, at uh, Anime Hell, Anime North 2022. <laughs> You know what? We should get Dave Merrill to do the show. He's, he's as I said, we we're just looking for ways for our schedule to match up so we can have him on the show. And worth a conversation. James, we should just jot down th- themes and stuff we would like to talk to about with Dave Merrill when he ever does this show. Okay, well, since I guess let's stick with the Miyazaki theme of the of the bullets, at least for another one. Studio Ghibli debuts new loungewear collection inspired by its dynamic, beloved heroines. Okay, this was back on June in mid to late June. They really there was a clothing collection based on popular Studio Ghibli characters. Nice looks, you know. You know, there's been this trend lately, and and. Not necessarily. I don't know how much Kevin knows about this because I know he's more the fashion guy. What's the? There's this phrase, the napping dress. Is that the term? I, th- I think they're called ponchos, right? Maybe Kevin 
can the napping dress. Google it or something to that effect. Because are, are we talking snuggles? What is it? Not called? snuggies. It's just like a type of. Uh, I guess I won't say a summer dress because we we've used that term in the past. And it was called a nap dress. That's been a trend lately in women's fashion, or at least within the last year or so. And uh, you mean you mean a resting gown? Maybe I don't know. But there's something I don't know here, and I'm not going to pretend I know. So let's, so both of you haters, hold back for a second. <laughs> yes or no? Merits of this. I, I remember don't... a decade ago. Okay, sorry. I, I cut somebody off. <laughs> just, yeah, as a, just... Just, just to put this into context and then Jeff. Nah, sorry, Jeff. I apologize. Remember about a decade ago in the, old, in the old run, in the version one era, we talked about Mokona from Clan how much she was into kimono. And then she released an art book full of kimono. She designed them for a time. We even joked with uh, Angela, would you buy a kimono from her? And she said, no. Would these be buyable? Okay, sorry. That, that, just a thought, Jeff. The, the, the castle in the sky one has the pendant as an embroidered part of it. Just, just sell the pendant separately. Like, it's, it's so weird. Um, so... Like it's it's a no, but like it's like the at least that one is kind of like a hoodie, so like there is you know, but it's also evocative of the actual you know costume. Uh, it, it's this weird half measure thing. Um, I think the the Arietti one I think looks the best. I'm not a fan of red, but uh, personal preferences. Uh, and then the Kiki one is very average. Uh, that gets a, a B plus. Which, so uh, you keep so between buying off the rack and keeping on the rack, you'd say keep it on the rack. Uh, I think the Kiki one is practical and and generic uh, enough, while still kind of being clearly a, a reference that you know you could work that as like a you know wear it to the Ghibli Museum. Um, I think the the Arietti one as well, if you're a fan of red. Um, the, the Castle in the Sky one is so weird to me though. Um, so mix. Yeah, very much so. Okay, I mentioned I mentioned kimono and clamp. Peoples I know here, I forgot what the what Peoples Jewelers is called in the States. But they had a an exclusive collection of jewelry based on Disney princesses. I don't know if you heard about that. Now, and I, and now that we talk about uh, we're starting to talk about it, that just came to mind. So I sort of think of that as well. Okay, anyone else? Does anyone else want to dive in, or should I just move on? Next, please. <laughs> I don't think we were the target market, really. Well, not that too, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's something I should know. <laughs> well, the, the other thing, the, the main thing there is that, you know, regardless of if we're the target market or not, I'm... I'm very pessimistic that the sizes will go above an American what, extra small? sizes. Zero? Yeah, like, yeah, I was thinking they were for the Japanese market. So yeah, the sizes would be a big problem. That would be your biggest issue. We're probably going to see it maximize at like American size nine in a dress. Like it's going to be, and that's, that's being generous. Like it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not hopeful that, that any mm. one of us could fit into any size release. <laughs> 
are the are, are the prices reasonable? Eighty bucks a pop. Honestly, I agree with Jeff on that because it's like what I've noticed when it can't comes to Japanese brands is that it really takes a lot of time for them to start to adjust their sizes for an international audience. Uh, I know there have been different brands that I've been purchasing from Japan, and in only in the last two to three to four years have some of these brands started uh, increasing their proportion sizes for, say, uh, an international audience. So, like, one of my favorite brands is called Wacko Maria. Their influences are very, like, they draw a lot of inspiration from punk, rock, and, like, rockabilly styles. And some of their smalls fit like an extra small if you buy any of their older (laughs) stuff. It's only in the last two years was did the size smalls fit, like, an air quotes American small. And even a couple of Japanese Mm. brands that I buy now... I notice that I still have to do a size up to fit in them. And I'm a traditional small across the board now when it comes to uh, pants okay. and shirts. Mm-hmm. I, I, there, I don't have anything else to add to this. I like to, I, I didn't mind bringing it up, but really I have nothing else to add. I, I guess it's worth asking a few other opinions. So let's, whoever's hearing this and then we'll put a link up on the show page. I'm curious to hear what others would think of this. May I add another one? And this was just within the last couple days, just another type of fashion crossover. Tag Hewer has offered a $2,000 plus Mario smartwatch. I'll put the link up there. And you know somebody's willing to pay that price. But yeah, I, I saw that I saw that this morning. So just a thought. Two more bullets uh, we could go with. Which one do you want to talk about? Judgment or Demon Slayer? We're going to go... I guess we'll do both of them. Which one do you want to go with first? Last Judgment? Yeah, well, we'll go with uh, yeah the... Judgment. Uh, this is yeah, an odd, odd story. Because and it also involves uh, Johnny's. Johnny's and Associates, right? But of course, with Judgment, they went out of their way to sign a star Japanese uh, power in uh, Akuya Kimura, which was one of their um, bona fide stars, so to speak. And one of the, and ended up being, being the selling, a big selling point for the for the original game. It's just. Johnny's tends to be overprotective about where they put the the images of their stars. And that seems to be the issue with this. So so the Judgment series could be lost on the grounds that Johnny's and Associates, or that Johnny's just doesn't want the game on PC. Is that the upshot of this? Yep. They're okay with all these different console platforms, but... In regards to PC, it's a no-go. And in one of the 
original listings that was removed from the website. It had like the Steam logo and stuff like that. And supposedly uh, they removed that. And then Sega later told PC Gamer Sega has no plans to bring Lost Judgment to PC at this time. So there was a bit of a kerfuffle around that because of their stance for Johnny's on PC, which is kind of behind the times to say the least. It's weird. It's an odd dynamic. It's just, there's some roots I see too in this. And can you hear me out for a, few, a minute or so on this one? We know, like, obviously video games is a thing in Japan, and it's where much of it was born. It's been almost exclusively, I don't know if it's exclusively, how big is the PC gaming market in Japan? Compared bigger, to the console gaming market in Japan. Bigger, I, I would say bigger than people ex- would expect, but still not huge. Okay. Because keep in mind, they they ha- they have like an entire um, like visual mo- novel market that we don't really have to the same level, um, but that's very restricted to like the otaku, um, you know, air quotes um, sort of user base. Um, and that's something else altogether, really. Yeah, because Judgment is not a visual novel. So because it had me reflecting. A little bit about esports too, and I, I know this is another. T- this is a tangent. How come um, you would have think you would think that Japan would be a force in a lot of esports, but that's not totally the case. Maybe fighting games, but name anything else. And I have trouble looking to find top tier Japanese players in esports and competitive gaming titles. That aren't fighting games. But because a lot of those titles are mainly PC-based games. Fighting titles are at least you can make the argument they're consoles. And I think about I think about that dynamic here in a roundabout way when I think about the this story about lost judgment. I, th- I think that's interesting because the only exception I could instantly think of, and it's because I'm a big fan, but it's Splatoon, which is another console game. Um, like it doesn't have a PC presence and probably never will. Um, so I, I think you you might be onto something with that line of thought. Mm-hmm. And and you know, Johnny has has it into its head in, in many respects that way. Sorry, go ahead. There was some interesting points in the article, though, to uh, Mike in regards to Johnny's and that, and that was basically the control they have over the likeness of their artists and stuff like that, and how it's meant power. And mm-hmm. by allowing uh, Takuya Kimura, because remember they use his likeness in the Judgment Games, he is the main character and stuff like that, regardless of if he's fictional and stuff like that. And they said basically having your most famous star and stuff like that appear in a game on an open platform like the PC, the agency thinks they might be giving up uh, some of their control and stuff like that. And that's why they're being so hard-headed, which is crazy, but they've been so hard-headed on embracing PC and YouTube and that type of stuff. Trust. Back to the trust thing and then the way Japanese like to do their business. But they definitely do it old school, that's for sure. Okay, going back, and this is another tangent and maybe roundabout. Remember I mentioned we put up all these 
links to more and more covers of Hatsukoi. And I want to put that Clover Z and TM Revolution Christmas Party one, which got taken down by YouTube. Trust. Again. And another keeping in mind, and maybe this also ties back into the talk on Anime Tube from earlier. How much does Japan care about the outside market? Because we know about appealing to outside markets. Because Korea, we've made this argument before, Korea, especially in their music, tries to appeal to a broader market. China tries maybe a little more to appeal to a broader market. Certainly they're, they're doing it so that uh, at least it can overshadow the Japanese market in their own market. People are looking for those overseas dollars. More actively over looking for those overseas dollars. Japan is in a better position to get it, but how much do they want it? Just a thought. Uh, and we will continue this conversation for sure. In another form. Want to take a look at it, as they said, because they do have a shrinking market, as we know all too well. Mm-hmm. But as I said, let's, that's a theme. And, that's a con- and you know as we go on, as we continue our, our series, as we continue our conversations, we'll revisit this part of it again. Yes or no? Can, um, can this be overcome? Will we see another, a third game in the Judgment series? Ultimately. No one wants to hazard a guess? I I want to say there's a possibility and stuff like that, especially after Disco Mm. Tech uh, got Giants to agree to the one song, remember? (laughs) After we tried so hard and Funimation couldn't. uh, Yeah, that's right, for Kodocha. That's right, good. For Kodocha, and that's what I was thinking of, was Kodocha and stuff like that, and that took almost forever, so... I'm not going to say never say never, but it'll be interesting. It could be a slow burn. Let's just say, which that at least says, maybe. Let's let's a little bit of hope there, just because we there's a precedent that says they've been flexible, right? Okay, we'll keep up with the story, and I know we'll talk about it again. Because we always say that about everything we talk about on this show. We'll talk about it again. Finally, on the topic of things we're talking about again, Demon Slayer. We had the big party last show, or was it the show before? I forgot. We talked Demon Slayer a lot. Demon Slayer's Kimitsu Gauken spinoff anime shorts will be made into a manga. You, I guess we knew this was going to happen sooner or later. Those little parody shorts that imagines all the characters in high school. First of all, I found them found them really humorous. So I guess that there was a certain inevitability because as it has so as it has so astutely said in the past. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did they, they say? I said, Mike. Mo, you want to say it this time? No, no, Mike. Nah, you got it, man. Now you, Mike, got, you got a mic. Huh? Okay, no, more. You got a mic. Okay. Because <laughs> as has been so as, as so correctly pointed out in the past, did we do we want to make a reaction to this? 
or is just acknowledge it just by saying mentioning it here i, feel I mean like I, you shouldn't acknowledge it right well we are acknowledging it by uh mere it's mere mention here well, it's they, just a continuation of the money train as they said and uh if they want to continue on it's like they're gonna take their tentacles and go through out until the well oh runs dry well it's worth it now that you bring it up remember the the manga the main manga series did end so i guess, I guess we do going, know, there's though, going back to the well they're right still uh, they're still adapting uh, that manga series i believe we have the second anime oh, series yeah, well, coming out that too but and they're doing all these collaborations with different uh, companies we've talked about the coffee company that had the collectible coffee cans of the different characters and stuff like that. And they were making bank on that. Another one, I think we want to mention a tie into this bullet was that gun ho for Ninjala, which is on Nintendo switch free to play game has teamed up with uh, demon slayer basically to release uh, skins, weapons, emotes, everything from demon slayer in their game. And they're putting so much effort into this compared to what they did when they teamed up with uh, Sega and Sonic. Like, they're going all in to get that Demon Slayer money, to get that gotcha moment. Mm-hmm. On the topic of... it is a gotcha game. Well, and then on the other side of the spectrum, on the topic of money. Again, the hell happened to their studio? Oh, you're talking about UFO table, right? Oh, I saw that. I saw that story. I was going to mention that, but I figured another day. But it, we had mentioned it before. Remember about that, and it was in relation. I think I'm not sure if it's Demon Slayer or which one, but it was the cafe, and I guess they were taking money from that and just putting it in the safe. And that's the thing about Japan is they're a very cash-based society. And when I hear those amounts of money, that tells me. There is a problem there. There is tax avoidance going on. No doubt about it. And yes, they probably got a slap on the wrist. They paid their fines. They've paid uh, the taxes back and all that. But it's it's just crazy. And they're lucky it didn't bite them in the ass because the one I remember big was Index. And that's who used to own Atlas. And they ran afoul of Japanese taxes and accounting law. And basically, it destroyed that whole company and almost killed Atlas. That was their biggest thing. And that's what they sold in bankruptcy to Sega to, I guess, make back the money. Hmm. But that can kill you. But it just teaches you something there, too, that uh, very cash-based society, because all that money was in cash. And they're storing it in a safe. And like, if you thought about <laughs> that anywhere else in the world, who would be storing that much cash in a safe or doing that type of thing like it just boggles the mind. Like you'd probably be robbed blind. Ill intent, I guess. <laughs> but spoken like a accountant, though. Way to go, James. Mm. No, it's like it's crazy when you think about that and stuff like that. But sooner or later, it catches up to you. It's better to live on the straight and narrow, and you'll have better long-term success than trying to make a short buck, and then it's going to bite you in the ass, and you're going to fall flat on your face. Mm-hmm. Fair point. Okay, Word. but no. at least uh, UFO table still intact. Hopefully, uh, they learned a lesson and they continue uh, to make more stuff in Fate, uh, make more stuff in Demon Slayer, and any other future series that uh, it, it, fans uh, hope to enjoy in the future because they are a fan favorite. Isn't that the wasn't that the worry when the story happened? What would happen to the rest of the anime series? Anyway, okay. 
Those are the bullets tonight. Before we go, I think let's let's acknowledge the community calendar for a couple minutes. First of all, let's just get this thing out of the way. Japan Foundation, New York, their pop culture series will continue. James, you want to you want to pitch this? Yes. Yeah, so you had mentioned some of the Japan uh, Foundation, New York, some of those uh, series, right, Mike? Yes. And so yes. this one is happening at the end of the month. It is July twenty uh, eighth on YouTube for their YouTube for Japan uh, Foundation New York, and it's at seven p.m. Uh, Eastern uh, Standard Time, East Coast Time, and it's uh, how the Japanese video game industry found, lost, and rediscovered its way. And I think that'll be an interesting insight looking at Japanese video games, how they were the titans, how they kind of lost the way when the West started to catch up during the 3D gaming era when we're talking about Xbox, PlayStation 2, and even the 360 and the PlayStation 3 and how we had those turns with Capcom and that trying to buy uh, and even Square Enix by European and North American studios to get that AAA experience. But then how it turned around again last decade where they said, we can be ourselves and still sell great games to an international audience. And I think that'll be a great story to tell. And I know one of the panelists is uh, Chris Kohler, and he is a very insightful person on uh, video games. And his book, uh, Powered Up, is a real good insight into this type of discussion as well. Hmm. And that is July 28th. You've said enough about, the, about this one. I will just hype up once again. This is a really worthwhile series. The last couple on, on, me, on Studio Ghibli especially... Yeah, those were out. very interesting and stuff like that. They've done some great, uh, insightful things on the topic and stuff like that to think about. So and great speakers. We'll put up the link to the sign up for that. At a point, of course, after the fact, it will end up on their YouTube page. I, I do have to catch up on the series. If and I they are still up there on the mm-hmm. YouTube mic, so no worries on that. You can still catch up. Right. Okay, and then before we go tonight, we are a quick COVID update, and this ties into something Mo wants to do. Wait, what do I want to do? Hear me out. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We are now, uh, well, obviously, we there's, I guess, good news to talk about when it comes to the whole COVID situation. Infection rates numbers have been down. For now. Vac- for now, yes, because who knows? We can't predict the future. Vaccination rates are okay at the moment, although I think we're seeing a bit of a plateau, at least in Ontario. Yeah. Here in Ontario, what the province has called stage three of a careful reopening plan came into effect yesterday, or today, I guess, because it, we are still, it is still Friday. It, 24 and a half hours ago? 23 and a half hours ago. There you go. Thank and you. And we're a week ahead of schedule, right? So. Well, we were five days ahead of schedule. Uh, it, it was the, the original intention was to go into stage three on the 21st, but instead it happened on the 16th, five days early. We will, history will be, will debate, history and the numbers will debate whether or not that's a wise move. Uh, a lot of people are, are certainly happy about that, especially if you want to go to see the movies, Mo. And to that end, this, 
movie theaters here in Ontario have reopened. What's and I guess they're just trying to play catch up. Some has is there any anime on the on the listings? Does anyone know off the top of their head? Demon, you yes. Did, did you know Demon Train? Yeah, Demon Slayer Mugen Train. I think is at Eglinton, uh, and that's the only Ontario location. But we'll have to wait and see if they finally are able to get some of those copies of some of the special feature films and stuff like that. Because I'm guessing it takes time to get it to certain locations, oh, right? So please. hopefully, Demon Slayer will get to some more locations next week, and. Also, Josie the Tiger and the Fish, which is an anime film uh, licensed by Funimation. That's supposed to be uh, next week. And so hopefully uh, that'll show up uh, in Ontario because that's only showing up in BC and Atlantic Canada, Saskatchewan, and Quebec. Hmm. And then I, they I, do I, have I, one for sure, Abaco the movie, but that is until uh, August. So I'm sure we'll probably see that by then. That's bizarre. In what way? That happened a while ago. Okay. That Shirobako movie, didn't that air a while ago? Like That was in Japan. And so remember, uh, what was it? Um, Eleven Arts, I believe, got the Shirobako uh, movie, not uh, Sentai. Because remember, Sentai got the series. Okay. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens for the dub for that one, because they might... Go ahead, Kevin. So, would would we be up to go to a screening as a group? I'm down. I'm done right now. Let's go right now, man. I'm. I'll have to check my work schedule. <laughs> it depends on the movie. I you're, trust none of you. So you're all forgetting the uh, the movie Space Players, uh, known in the West as uh, Space Jam: A New Legacy. Oh yeah! Um, that, oh yes! Oh yeah! That that that's that. Oh, did you today. see oh, the, on the interview Max. with uh, Donovan Bennett? Oh, that was a great LeBron interview. James. Yes, Le- that was Donovan a good ben- one. A Canadian yeah. exclusive on Space Jam. Oh my god! Yeah, there was a okay up here in Canada. One of our one of the more preeminent commentators, journalists, etc. Sports journalists is a gentleman by the name of Donovan Bennett. He's he features on Sportsnet. Former university running back star at Western University. He won't tell you that, but he was, uh, but I know that he was a hell of a football player in his day and he uh, did it. He had a conversation with LeBron James and it was a really, really friendly conversation. They talked about, you know, family legacies, etc. If, so, if it's, if we can link it so that an audience outside of Canada can see it. Yeah, we'll do that. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. The voice of most of the Looney Tunes is also a Canadian. Yeah, um, we I, do, think I think we, very we local. Yes, he's a Scarborough guy, I believe. We've yeah. mentioned that in the past, and I forgot his name off the top of my head, but you're right. And he's had that role for some years now. It's just that he's, uh, I think only recently has he really talked about it. But yeah, there, that's true. Lots of Canadian connections here. Gotta think. Gotta think about it. We should talk about the next uh, next Pixar movie while we're at it. But that's another story altogether. Oh, you mean the uh, the red one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that was great, yeah. man. That trailer was awesome. <laughs> anyway. But I guess that means we can finally see the new James Bond movie when it comes out in November. They won't have a third delay. Wait, there's a James Bond movie coming out? <laughs> coming to Amazon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, I think we're, there you go. We're at the two. We're pretty much at the two hour mark. <laughs> 
but uh, lots of lots of stuff that we really did want to talk about there, right? So, but hopefully we'll see some of those movies, yeah, in the coming weeks and stuff like that. Because I'm guessing for us, they're gonna have to ramp up for Cineplex and stuff like that, and we'll see, I guess, how the uh, seating arrangements are. Just like when I went with Mo and when I went with Kevin for those movies uh, many moons ago. Just make sure more than one sink is working and th- and that there's paper towels, okay? And but we're still getting uh, we're just we're still winding down day one of the new normal here. So a couple weeks from now, or whenever we uh, return, we'll tell you about how normal's going. Okay. I think we're kind of seeing the new normal too, aren't we, Mike? Because our hair looks a little more uh, respectable from what we're seeing. Nice, uh, nice look, James. Nice look, Kevin. I don't know if he's listening right now. Just looking at uh, at his video here. I'm listening. Anyway, that's all. Oh, thank you. Well, then, uh, don't forget to don't forget your line, as I say. And that's all we have for tonight. One more time, a reminder where you can reach us: animeroundtable at gmail.com. Yeah. Wait. So there is one more thing. Uh, the Jujutsu Kaisen manga is coming back. Uh, this thing is coming back this August. That got announced recently. So the hiatus is over. So I can be confused all over again. It'll be ending, yes. So I will be confused about the plot all over again. <laughs> like I always am with that series. Okay. I wish I could say I add something to that. That is all. That's all I got. Okay. Well, that now we can say, and that's all we have for tonight. One more time, a reminder where you can reach us. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com, at AnimeRoundtable, AnimeRoundtable.com. Uh, if, you, if you enjoyed this and you know somebody or have a friend you know will like it, please, uh, word of mouth is always a good thing. Also, don't forget, if possible, to leave us a review, if you can, wherever you get your podcast, because reviews might help us in the algorithm and help us find new listeners as well. Say it. Say it. Say it. <laughs> and as I usually say, uh, if you're going to leave us a review, uh, pre- <laughs> preferably a five or four star review. Uh, if you really think we're terrible, please be constructive in your criticisms. Thank you. Please Actually, thank yeah, you. we would. We want to know what we're doing wrong here. We typically do episodes once every other week. Sometimes we'll do something on our off weeks too. That said, subscribe to us wherever you're hearing this so you can be notified whenever something new drops in the feed. And that's it. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. And join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. so bad my don't worry about it so and, and the thing is I'll, I'll try and make up for it don't feel bad because you know what you sounded fine and we can make oh, up you sounded fine and stuff yeah the, your, your audible no. the volume was good no, it's, I sound fine Real it's makeup. just that it's just that the timing gets all like wonky and then like people are like, like 
all of us are I stuttering because like the audio comes lag. at different times. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking that it's like, yeah, I was never able to figure out like exactly when the lag would start or stop. So then mm-hmm. it was just, that's why I tried to do the hand waving thing as much as I could. Okay. When you, when you put up your hand virtually. You might you might want to uh, lower yeah. the volume on your yell at Kevin at the at the end there, Mike. That was that was pretty <laughs> jarring. <laughs> that was loud. Okay. And it was it was really unfair to poor laggy Kevin that you were like yelling at him to start saying his thing, and it's like he can't. He really just can't. <laughs> You wanted to have his inner Conan there. Just, just like, just like Mike have his inner Conan. Okay. Oh. So you saw the clip. You saw the Conan clip or something. 